So this is uh, the fall quarter, lesson two, um, in the book of uh, Philippians and Colossians. The title of the lesson is Paul's Optimism in Prison, and that will be Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. So, Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that with the Holy Spirit indwelling us, joy is available to us every day no matter what is going on around us, um, but it takes uh, us learning to submit to access that joy, and so we want to learn how to do that, and uh, we seek your help in doing so. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first section, this is going to be a relatively short lesson. The first section, section A, is called Paul's Ministry, and that is three verses, verses 12 through 14. Philippians 1, verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. So what is Paul doing here? That's exactly what he's doing. He is in prison. Okay. But he said, I want you to know that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. And that was his mission, to spread the gospel to the Gentiles. And so that is called a glass-half-full mentality, you know? And we have a hymn called Count Your Blessings, which is exactly the same thing. You know, no matter how you are, you can stop, you can count your blessings of what the Lord has done. And that will give you joy. That will give you joy even if you're having trouble at the time. Exactly. And isn't that what we learned from James? Okay, now I have to read this. I, because the, the, when I first saw that, you know, yeah, when I started. But anyway, James uh, chapter 1 verse 2 says, consider, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Knowing that the testing of your face produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So when you are in trials, you should be joyful because the Lord is causing you to grow. He's maturing you. And that is the cause for joy. Right. I mean, it, it's in difficult circumstances where the, you, you can glorify the Lord the most, really. Because... Well, let's just look at Paul, verse 12, his circumstances. I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances, his circumstances were prison. He was in prison. He was chained to a centurion. You know, this was his first imprisonment. He had been in prison already for two years. He was in Caesarea for two years. They were dilly-dallying there, you know. And finally, they wanted to send him back to Jerusalem where he knew he would be killed. So he appealed to Caesar, 
So they sent him to Rome. So he's been in, in prison greater than two years now. And the glass half full part is the greater progress of the gospel. His circumstances have caused the gospel to progress more greatly. And, uh, you know, that's our mission, really. Our mission, while we're still on earth, is to promote the gospel. Yeah, Paul says that we are ambassadors for Christ and that we're pleading with the world to be reconciled to God. That's why he leaves us on earth, so that we may influence unbelievers to turn to Jesus Christ and have eternal life also. Paul, this, is, this was giving him joy, even though he was in, you know, Paul, in, Philipp, in Philippi himself, if you remember, Paul was imprisoned, and he was singing in jail because he had joy. And as he was singing, an earthquake occurred. The jail gates all flew open. The Philippian jailer wanted to kill himself, and Paul said, don't do that. And the Philippian jailer was saved because he was in prison. So, you know, this is not uh, Paul's first rodeo as far as that goes. So verse 13 says, So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known. So everyone knew that he wasn't in prison because he was a murderer. He wasn't in prison because he was an embezzler, you know, or a, a thief. No, he was in prison because of Christ. And that had become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. The Praetorian Guard has several uses, you know, as a, you know, it's a place in Rome. It is a, uh, a it was a Roman unit in Rome of uh, soldiers. Also the place of dwelling of the, uh, of the governor in Jerusalem was called the Praetorian Guard, and in Caesarea, it's called the Praetorian Guard. So in, in this instance, I believe this is referring to the soldiers that were guarding Paul in Rome. So, yeah, it was known that he was in prison for Christ's sake, and that makes people curious. The gospel was spreading through those guarding him. So they were, you know, they took turns being chained to him, and they were allowing him to talk and communicate with other people, and they would hear what he said. <laughs> they could help it. And it was spreading, you know, through the guard that was guarding him, and some of them were becoming saved. So now verse 14 and that most of the brethren, so these are the believers in Rome, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment. So Paul's imprisonment did not make them afraid. It made them trust the Lord more. They have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. So other believers' faith increased. increased. 
because of his imprisonment, and they were speaking the word of God without fear. Um, it is God's will, I'm going to say this definitively, it is God's will that a believer is not afraid, ever. Yeah, that is God's will for the believer, that they are not afraid. How many times did Jesus say, do not be afraid? I mean, a zillion times. Not, he sends angels, and they say, do not fear. Yeah, and what does the devil say? Fear. <laughs> the devil says fear. No, God always says, do not fear, and it is God's will not to fear. And that glorifies him, and it draws unbelievers to him. When you're in a difficult situation, you're not afraid, and you're calm. That draws unbelievers to him. And look at what it was doing to the believers in Jerusalem, what was happening to Paul. It increased their faith. And so they're preaching the word of God without fear. If you try to crush and kill the church, it will grow. You can't do it. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 16, I believe it's 18, he said, let me go there so I don't botch it up. Yeah, he's speaking to Peter. He said, I also say to you that you are Peter, which in the Greek is a small stone, and upon this rock, which is a huge stone, which is the faith that Peter expressed, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Hell itself cannot defeat the church. Um, because the Lord won't allow it. Okay? Um, we we can mess it up ourselves. You know, we allow false teaching into the church. We mess it up for ourselves. But external persecution uh, causes the church to grow. And that's what we were seeing here in uh, Rome. So, yeah, if you were, if you were afraid of anything, you know that's not God's will. And so you need to ask the Lord to help you not be afraid. And he will do that. And we should never be afraid. Anything more about those three verses? Yeah, you know, following the Lord, it's interesting because Jesus equates it with taking up your cross, which sounds scary, you know. And then, but the same person also says, uh, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, while he's telling you to take your cross. So what does that mean? That means that he gives you the power to do what he asks. It may seem like a cross to you as you're facing it. But when you actually do it, it will be easy and light. Because he, that's the Holy Spirit's empowerment of the believer. Okay, so section B, the proclamation of the gospel. Somebody want to read that one? Uh, verses 15 through 18. Thank you. Yeah, so see, there is there is joy right there, too. He's rejoicing. So some were preaching the gospel with sinful motives. Right. Yeah, it is a choice to have this attitude. 
the glass half full attitude. That is a choice. You know, that is something you have to kind of consciously do. You know, this is real bad. <laughs> Let me count my blessings. You know, that's a that's a that's a conscious decision that you have to make. And you know, I'm sure Paul wasn't thrilled he was in prison. I wouldn't be thrilled to be in prison. Yeah, but um, exactly, exactly. He preached the gospel to his guards and to everyone who had come and talked to him. And a lot of people did come to talk to him. So it said some were preaching the gospel of sinful motives that did not matter to Paul. Now, does that matter to Jesus? Yeah, if you do something for sinful motives, does it matter to Jesus? Yes, it does matter to Jesus. <laughs> to Paul, it didn't matter. Because Paul had a mission, and his mission was to promote the gospel. People were preaching the gospel out of uh, uh, envy toward him, which is a sinful motive. He didn't care. So where does that matter? It does matter to Jesus. Where does it matter? Anybody know that? I know you do. It matters that the believer's judgment when the church is raptured, very shortly thereafter we'll stand before Christ's judgment seat. Our works will be judged. Part of that judgment is the motive for the work. Okay? So these believers, because he said they're brethren, but they're preaching Christ out of envy. So they are believers that are less mature, say, than Paul was. And at the Bema Seat Judgment of Christ, the, those works, their preaching of the gospel, will be ignored by him for a reward. They will not get a reward for that because they're doing it out of envy. Okay? The, the works that will be rewarded are works that are done out of faith, not envy. Faith. Because the Lord says, do it. So I say, I believe you, Lord, I will do it. Those are the ones that those are the ones that are rewarded. So yeah. Um, but Paul didn't care. Because people were hearing about Christ. And that is that is what he wanted. Yeah, you know that that idea that the motive um, is taken into account at the believer's judgment makes me nervous <laughs> a little bit because you know your motives are all over the place. You know, I mean, and they're very private, and you know they're not on the outside; they're on the inside. And you're like, my gosh, how can I control that? <laughs> you know, but I think you know if you if you do things out of faith, then okay, that's. That's all right. You know, they should have been doing it because the Lord told them so. If they did it just because the Lord told them so, then that would be rewarded. But doing it out of envy against Paul, you know, that'll, that will take away from their reward. But the preaching of the gospel in Rome was stimulated by Paul's imprisonment. And that's another reason to be joyful. So, verse 18, 
But then only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. So Christ was being proclaimed. How about us? Are we proclaiming Christ? We should take every opportunity that comes up to let people know that they can be eternally saved simply by believing in Jesus and what he has done. Now, the quarterly has an error in it that I want to point out. They don't have a lot of errors, but occasionally they do. And uh, it, this might be a small error, but I think it has big implications. On page 19, it says, um, let's see, despite the malevolent intentions of Paul's rivals, the apostle didn't care about their ill will toward him as long as the gospel was preached. If non-believers were hearing the good news about Jesus Christ and receiving him as their Lord and Savior, that was all that counted to Paul. He didn't care what happened to him as long as people were coming into the kingdom. Now, were they coming into the kingdom? What is the kingdom? That's the error right there. The kingdom. The kingdom is very specific. The kingdom is described in the Old Testament. The kingdom is a time when it will be, there will be no war. There will be universal prosperity. Much of the curse put on the world after the fall will be reversed. People's lifespans will be very long again. Um, and the Messiah will reign and rule from Jerusalem. And Israel will be the superpower of the world. That is the kingdom. And Jesus, the Messiah, will be king. And we will be in his administration, and he will rule the world with a rod of iron. So it will be perfect righteousness. There will be no, none of these shenanigans that we see all around us. Okay, so are we in the kingdom? Yeah, we're not in the kingdom. We're being recruited for the kingdom. Yeah, that's why we pray for the kingdom. We pray for the kingdom because we're not in the kingdom. Remember, Satan is the ruler of this world in our age, in the church age. That's why when spiritual warfare is mostly defensive. So, um, yeah, and people say that, oh, we're bringing them into the kingdom. We're bringing the kingdom in. No, 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 no. We are not. What is our job? If we're not bringing the who's going to bring in the kingdom? Jesus. Jesus. He's the only one who can. We cannot do that. We cannot do that. He does it. He sends his angel who binds Satan. So when people say, I'm going to bind Satan, that's silly. You're not binding Satan. Satan is bound at the beginning of the millennial kingdom. So another aspect of the kingdom is that Satan will be imprisoned, and he will not be able to influence people. 
So, um, I lost my train of thought now. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, our our mission now is that we are ambassadors for Christ. That's what Paul says in Second Corinthians. We are ambassadors with Christ, and we are pleading with the unbelieving to be reconciled to God so that they can become a part of his church, part of his bride, and rule in the kingdom. We will rule in the kingdom. Exactly. You know, that's a motive for holy living and for evangelism. Yeah, yeah. And so, and what we're doing now is training for that time. We're learning how to walk by faith now. Training for that time when we do have authority. Um, so a lot of people say this, you know, and it started back in the fourth century AD with Augustine, and that he took the church and and gave it all the kingdom promises of Israel. The church is not Israel. So anyway, I want to correct that because they said that a couple times in here that, that we're bringing people into the kingdom. No, there there is. Well, I mean, people who are saved will be in the kingdom, but not now. When Jesus creates the kingdom, God saves them. We just present. Right. I mean, it's a blessing to be used that way. Yeah, but you see yeah. what I'm saying. They're I like, do. It's an option they're built. That they, I do. Know, yeah. And that. Right. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's why we don't want to touch the glory that belongs to him because that brings bad things. <laughs> if we touch his glory. So if anything good happens through us, we say, praise the Lord. He did it. Yeah. We want to be very careful about that because he, the Lord says very specifically, I will not share my glory. So they were doing works right. without faith. Exactly. And, and that is dirty rags. Right? That's dirty rags. So, so anyway, yeah, I, I want us as a church to be very clear on this kingdom issue because it is so messed up. In most churches, it is so messed up. And that's what leads to the social gospel. That we have to we have to correct poverty, you know, we have to have universal health care, um, we have to correct climate change, all these sort of things. They're Marxist, right? Really. And um that's because we people don't know what the kingdom is. The kingdom is in the future. It is created by Jesus alone. We will be in it, yes. But what we are doing is recruiting members of his church that will be a part of it in the future. So anyway, this caused Paul to rejoice, even though he's in prison. So he's demonstrating his cup-half-full attitude. Okay, so section C, and this is the last section, 18 through 26. So I'm going to reread 18. What then? Only that in everywhere, in every way, excuse me, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. 
according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to, get, to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose, but I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Right, if um, you plus God is a majority, always. Right, no matter how many others there are. Um, you know, we just finished the Proverbs. The proverb, uh, uh, I can't remember, I think it's chapter 28, verse 1. 26 verse 1 one of those anyway it says uh, the wicked flee when no one is pursuing but the righteous are bold as a lion because the Holy Spirit takes away fear God takes away fear and uh, you know the wicked know that punishment is coming they know it you know that's why they're afraid. <laughs> they, yeah, they know that they deserve punishment. You know, because that's our conscience. And uh, so, when you are in fellowship with Christ, you can be a Christian and be a fearful Christian. That means you're not in fellowship with Christ. But if you're in fellowship with Christ, you're you are fearless. So then look at verse 19. Paul had great confidence in the power of prayer. So, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So Paul believed in the power of prayer. He had a lot of experience with it. Remember Ananias prayed for him after his conversion. He was blind, and scales fell out of his eyes, and he could see after Ananias prayed. So, um, you know, Paul had seen prayer work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and haven't we had some experience with prayer in our church? You bet. You bet. We've had a lot of experience with prayer, and that prayer works. So, um, you know, Jesus tells us in Luke 18, verse 1, that men, and when he says men, he's speaking of mankind, which includes women, men should always pray and never give up. That's what you say when you don't feel like going to the prayer meeting. Men should always pray and never give up. Because when you pray, something will happen that wouldn't have otherwise happened. Yeah, if we could see what ha what was happening spiritually when we pray, we would probably pray a lot more. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, you know, the Lord does give us glimpses. We we see glimpses, but I think uh, 
much of the time we pray and we don't see what happens. And I think that things do happen, you know, even though we can't see it. So we, we have to remember that. This is from James 5, 18, or uh, let's see, 16 through 18. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So mighty things can be done through prayer, not because of us, but because we pray to God, who is omnipotent, and he does it. Yeah, so prayer, prayer is worth doing. So verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, uh, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul had a strong desire for spiritual growth. No, do you want spiritual growth? Amen. Is that your desire? Yeah, yeah, that's our desire. You know, we want to, uh, because there's blessing associated with spiritual growth. Definitely. And I want to be blessed. I don't know about you, but I enjoy it greatly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yes. This is another verse about prayer. First John 5, 4. This is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So, if you ask God for spiritual growth, he will give it to you. That is his will. You know, I mean, that that's what much of the Bible is about, how to grow as a believer. We need knowledge. Yeah. And that's what we get from the Bible. Wisdom is learning to apply that knowledge in real life. And that's where you're blessed. When that's you, where yeah, exactly. Don't be hearers, be doers. And what Jesus, when he was washing the disciples' feet, he says, you know, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So studying the Bible is the first part of it, because without that, we don't know what to do. But doing what we learn is where the blessing comes. And the Yes. Yes. Yeah, the Holy Spirit illuminates the Bible so we can understand it. You know, if you're, um, who was I? I've heard more than one people say they read the Bible and they, it made no sense to them. And then they became saved, and they're like, oh, I get it <laughs> now, you know. Because you need the Holy Spirit. To uh, to uh, it, it's it's like a magic book, <laughs> you know. If I could say, if I could use that word, I know magic is bad, but it's a supernatural book, and that the Holy Spirit and the the words of the book act together. Yeah, it causes us to grow. I read one chapter over. Yeah, so verse twenty one. This is a very famous verse. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But it's true. Yeah. Right. This is a no-lose situation. Right. 
for the believer. It's no, it's, there's no lose. You can't lose here. To live is Christ and to die is gain. If you live as, to live is Christ. Okay, so what is that? As you're living, you're accruing rewards in heaven. Living as Christ would have you live. Okay, and it's a very blessed way to live. It creates joy. You know, we, all the fruit of the Spirit is expressed in you. And it's a very wonderful way to live. There are problems, of course, because we live in the world. And we deal with our sin nature. But it's a wonderful way to live. And when we die, it's even better. So it's a no-lose situation for the believer. Um, dying and being in, you know, the Christian life is a very high-quality life, very high quality. That is why we do not need psychiatrists. We do not need philosophers. We are, yeah, we, and we are immortal in the, in the fact that uh, until the Lord is done with us, we cannot die. I mean, look at the Apostle John. They tried to boil him in oil, and he wouldn't die. I'm sure they were very frustrated, <laughs> you know? Yeah. All the other apostles died martyrs' deaths. Paul didn't, or John did not. He, he stayed because the Lord wanted to use him to write Revelation. And, uh, you know, he had things for him to do here. And so that's true for every one of us. You know, our life will not end. Until the Lord's, because what does Ephesians say? The Lord has good works for us that he has prepared beforehand for you to walk in. And when you complete those good works, he will take you home. Now, we don't know what they are. <laughs> That's why we have to keep his, our eyes on him and, and say, okay, Lord, lead me. And, uh, you know, and we don't know when we get to the end until we're up there. <laughs> You mean that's another case of only God knows? Yeah, that's one of those uh, mysteries, secrets. Yeah, I, th I think the works he has planned for us are a lot like our uh, fingerprints. They're unique. They're like snowflakes, you know. They're only for us. We're the only ones who can do them. Verse 22, but if I am to live on in the flesh, this will need fruitful labor for me. Okay? And that is true of us also. And fruitful labor, right, means we're bearing the fruit. We're attached to the vine. It says if you stay, abide in the vine, you will bear much fruit. Fruitful labor. And that is what will pass the test at the Bema Seat Judgment, that kind of thing. And to, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And that's what the Lord tells us all the time is that put others, you know, consider others more important than yourself. Put others first. Um, and that's what Paul was willing to do. So, yeah, staying alive means more opportunity for service. Verse 24 yeah, yet to remain on the flesh is more necessary for your sake. So, you know, especially as as we mature as Christians, we should be helping the more immature to mature, you know. And uh, then verse 25, convinced of this, 
I know that I will remain. So Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, knew that he would be released from prison because of their prayers, because they were praying for him. It says that earlier. Um, and so, you know, the Holy Spirit let him know that those prayers would be answered, and they were answered. So he's convinced he would be released, and he was. You know, when I, I've heard, I've heard uh, uh, teaching on this, you know, there's a balance there. It, in James it says, you know, if you're sick, you're to call the elders, have them pray over you, and the prayer of faith will heal and stuff like that. It also says, if you pray according to my will. Yeah. It is not God's will that every illness goes away. Right. You know, in I mean... perfect world, we pray for Yeah, in fact, in Paul's case, the Lord gave him a problem, this thorn, and he prayed. He prayed three times, and the Lord said no. And then he said, my grace is sufficient for you. So, you know, I think if you have an illness, it's good, especially, you know, if you're it's serious, you know, call the elders of the church. Have them put oil on your head and pray for you, because that's what it says to do. Does that mean 100% that you will be healed? Not necessarily. If it is God's will for you to be healed, yes. If it is not, then not his grace... No, you, you know, the, there has to be that balance that is in Scripture. You can't be unbalanced about it. If you're unbalanced about it, it leads to disappointment. You know, if you're, if, if you, like right, yeah, yeah, and you know the, I mean, it has happened to me for my, in my back. You know, I, I had the elders pray for me. It happened in my back. It happened with our kids, and, uh, you know, I recently had the elders pray for me about my vision, and I didn't think it worked. So I went to the doctor, and I, I had an an, a fluorescein angiogram. You know, I have diabetes, and I knew I had diabetic retinopathy because I had one of these seven years ago. And they said I had it. It was mild. Well, the one I had recently, after being prayed for by the elders, was improved from seven years ago. So I think that's an answer to prayer. Now, did, you know, I, what I was looking forward to is that my vision would be like, you know, uh, yeah, like like one of the 4K televisions, <laughs> you know, the super crisp. It didn't do that. But the test was improved after I was prayed for. So that you could do what he needs. Yeah, so I just figured, well, the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you. So, so anyway, Lord, we thank, we pray that you'd help us to look at our cup as half full and have the mentality Paul did that will give us joy in Jesus' name. Amen.